tonight, we're gonna dive a little bit deeper into this culture of honor. And where I wanna go with it tonight is to talk about the image of God. Because people are made in the image of God. If we understand who God is, then we understand a little bit more of what it means to be made in his image. Andy has been reading uh, the old dead guys, right? Do you guys like get the message that there's free books at Murphy's on Saturday or something like that? You can go get an old dead guy book. I think he put it out either on the main group me or the leaders group me. But he was reading C.S. Lewis this week. And we actually downloaded The Weight of Glory onto audiobook. I'm all into audiobooks. It's like my thing. So we downloaded The Weight of Glory and we were listening to it. And one of the things that C.S. Lewis says is that you have never met a mortal in your life. Every person's soul is immortal. Whether they live in the afterlife with Christ or they don't, every person that you've met is immortal. When you think of it from that perspective, it kind of changes your interaction with people. When we get so used to like, you know, going to the grocery store, having the bagger put our groceries in there and throw them in the basket without thinking that that person has an eternal destiny. We can really easily, and I talked about this before at the beginning of the semester, about the heart of discipleship. We really get used to just being around people and not remembering the weighty significance that they have because they're made in the image of God. So the more we understand about God's design, the higher value we have for people, and the more it informs us on what it means to honor one another. If we represent who God is, then would we treat the Lord the way that we treat one another? That's the question we want to ask. I hope the answer is yes. In Chi Alpha, I hope it's always yes. That we treat one another with the same honor, respect, love that we direct towards our Lord because we are his image bearers, his immortal ones. So we're going to start from the beginning. How can we understand anything about God and God's design unless we start from the beginning? So we're in Genesis tonight. But before we go there, I want you to just like two seconds. Everybody close your eyes. And I just want you to imagine the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen. Maybe it's sunsets. Maybe it's the rainforest. Maybe it's the top of the mountains in Alaska when we crested the clouds and we looked out over all of this mountain range. Have you found it? Do you have something in your mind? Awesome, you can open your eyes. I mean, scripture says that creation reveals God's glory, right? What are some of those beautiful things that you guys have seen? Say it louder. Waterfalls. There is something about waterfalls, isn't there? It's like, I can remember being in the Dominican Republic and like the best thing I saw was a waterfall, but there was a lot of other things to see. You know what I mean? But it's just, it's majestic. And it's powerful. Yeah. What else? Stars. Stars. Man, you get outside the city, you, just, you take it all in, you get the telescope out, and you're like, whoa, yes. 
sunsets, especially in Arizona, where they turn like hot red. Snow. Snow. Hey, there have to be people who love the snow. There was something funny back here. What did you say? Mountains. Yes. They're ominous. I, I know a guy who just went up and down Mount Kilimanjaro in three days. The shortest tour they do is five days. And he kind of tricked his tour guide into doing it in three. It was crazy. Altitude sickness, the whole deal. What else? Oh, she said the sunrise in Kenya. Yeah. God's creation is breathtaking. I want to talk about it. So on the first day... If we go into creation, God creates the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless, so it has no form yet. God creates it, but he doesn't give it definition, right? And what does he say? Let there be light for the first time. Wouldn't you have wanted to be there in that moment where the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters of the deep, Nothing had really been established yet. And then bright light, probably pure, unadulterated, no pollution looking through light. It's not like these. It's not a fluorescent or a halogen or anything like that. It is pure light. Now in the, in the life to come, the source of our light will be Jesus It says that there will be no sun because the city of the Lord is lit up by the light of the Savior. I imagine that that first light must have been something pure like that. Creation was not fallen. It had not been cursed. It was pure. Day two. God creates the sky. He says, let there be an expanse between the water to separate water from water. If you don't understand what that means, it means the water below from the water above. It will rain someday. We will have oceans. Nothing has definition yet. So how did God separate those things? He made sky. So God made an expanse, and he separated the water under the expanse from the water above it, and it was so. And God called the expanse sky. There's nothing in the sky yet, but now it exists. And it's different. It's unique from the heavens and the earth. And it's, it's not light, right? He, this is a separate creation. On day three, he creates dry land. So he puts all the water where the water's going to go. He kind of makes up the seas and the oceans and the rivers and things like that. And he creates land. But it's not desert, right? Because not the whole earth is desert. No, for the first time, there is lush vegetation. You guys remember pictures you've seen of National Geographic, like the rainforest, or like crazy things that you've seen of like, is that really a plant? You know, like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. Birds of paradise flowers are like one of my favorite flowers that are modeled after a real bird who has like that little orange thing on its head. Like, God's creation is unique and it's intricate. Anybody taken biology? Thank you, Rebecca. Yes, you have. (laughs) Plants can be complex, people. And God puts all of this detail into them. 
to make lush, beautiful greenery to cover the dry land. And then he, he forms the seas. Can you imagine all of that water? And there are no animals yet. There are no fish. There are no whales. There are no dolphins. It's just water. Makes you wonder, did he create coral reef yet? And if he created the land plants, does that mean he created the sea plants? I don't know. It doesn't say. But I bet it's beautiful. <laughs> right? Do you see that? Well, let me say this next one. What does he make on day four? Anybody remember? The cosmos. He makes the sun. He makes the moon. He makes the stars. He makes those galaxies that look like those crazy spirals that sometimes look like eyeballs, right? Anybody remember Men in Black? <laughs> yes, the galaxies. They're so complex and beautiful. Anybody really like studying the stars? You take those classes in college, you can. Yeah. Space. I wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid. Then I found out you probably should join the Air Force and become a pilot first, and I didn't want to do that. And I didn't want to take a lot of math. So anyway. <laughs> the cosmos. The complexity. Where does space end, people? Have we reached the limit of it yet? It just keeps going on and on. It's so much bigger than we are, isn't it? And as far as we know, in all of space, there's only one planet that Jesus came to, to save. Just adding a little bit to like the value of the human. Day five, birds and fish. There are some crazy fish. Let me just say, we watch a lot of octonauts in our house. And about five or six times a day, I am educated on the different kinds of sea life that there is. There is this thing called an immortal jellyfish. So it grows up to be a daddy jellyfish, okay? And then if it gets threatened or its life is in danger, it just decides to start over and it goes back to being a baby jellyfish. <laughs> and it can keep doing that cycle for a long time. And so instead of being eaten, he goes, that's okay, we'll just try again. <laughs> Isn't this incredible? You have to look it up. It was on Octonauts. Um, <laughs> or like, what's it called? It's, it's another jellyfish, but it's like, it's like the extra long one. And it has, it can be insanely long. Like I'm talking like a school bus. It's just a jellyfish, right? It's incredible. And God makes all of these. And he makes the little seahorses that look like kelp so that they can blend in with the kelp, right? And he makes the angler fish that have the light, right? that dangle and like tempt the other fish to come so he could eat them, that was post-fall. Before that, it was just to attract more kelp, probably. <laughs> I mean, insane. The diversity of sea life. 
there's these things called water bears that are like this big. <laughs> and they're these little microorganisms that live in the ocean and they're called water bears. <laughs> and they're really cute. Um, close up on our microscope. And then birds. Have you guys ever seen videos of birds of paradise? Unbelievable. All different kinds of birds of paradise. And they have unbelievable feathers that come out. Only the males, right? Because the girls, <laughs> it's so different. It's so different. It's the guys that put on the cool outfits and the girls just sit back and watch. You know, like, they never get dressed up. <laughs> I don't know what that's like. But... <laughs> These birds are incredible, and when they spread their wings in, like, mating season, it's like, where did that just come from? <laughs> you know, there's this one bird that when he spreads out his uh, feathers, they're, like, radiant black. And then there's this neon, like, black light stripe <laughs> in the middle. And when he does this little dance, <laughs> he, it looks like he has a big face right there. And the girl, she's just this brown bird over there going... I don't know if I like your moves, you know, like, <laughs> they always play hard to get. Rainbow of colors. And then flamingos that change color depending on what they eat. Some, some can be red. Some are pink. Some are like this orange color. He graciously made seagulls and pigeons because he is a gracious god. <laughs> I mean, there's annoying birds, too. It's okay. But you think about, like, there are whole professions of studying birds. And each one of them has their own call. And each one of them has their own, like, mating dance. Right? And they all build nests. And they all know how to find food. I mean, birds are complex. With each day the complexity of what God creates increases. And the diversity. And almost like the splendor. Because would the ocean be as cool? Would you go scuba diving if there were no fish to see? I can remember the first time I went snorkeling. It was in the Bahamas, and that's where like the water is like crystal clear. You know what I mean? So you could stand there, and you could see all the way down to the bottom, and it's just color. But then you put your mask underwater and everything's like around you and you could like interact with it and go down and touch the coral reef if you wanted to. Like it's vibrant and amazing. And then day six. Day six is like, blows all the other days out of the water. This is where we get the water buffaloes, <laughs> right? And probably the dinosaurs. And all the other beasts of the field. Anybody have like a favorite animal? The Dimitridon. Anybody have, is that a real animal? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Anybody like really like elephants? Yes. Eric apparently likes elephants. Thank you for being honest. <laughs> Wildebeests. Laughing hyenas, <laughs> lions, tigers, bears, 
Thank you. <laughs> it worked. Camels. Camels are pretty crazy. They store water in those humps and they can go days without drinking any water because they just have like the built-in camel back, right? Thank you. <laughs> Hyenas, is that what you said? Oh, red pandas. Uh, what's her name? Fiona? Fiona the hippo? <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> a side note, did you know that you can go to Grater's right now and get the Fiona-inspired ice cream? Mm-hmm. Special edition, get it while it lasts. Fiona the hippo. She just had her first birthday. I forget. You have to look it up. Google knows. What comes after the animals? No, that was, we already talked about that. That was day three. <laughs> People. There's a little bit of like a, like a progression that's happening in creation. And God ends the process with people. First he creates man, right? He creates Adam. And God handcrafts Adam. He makes him out of the dirt, out of, of the earth, right? And almost like a potter, it feels like he molds Adam into the way that he is supposed to be. And he is perfect. And then God breathes into him. We just sang that song tonight, right? It's your breath in my lungs. And so because it's God's breath in us, we sing back praises to him with that breath. That's what that's referring to. That as God formed Adam, he then gave him his own life breath. If you're taking notes tonight, which I hope you like always take notes, whether it's on your phone or it's in your journal or something like that, I want you to write something down real quick. So when you think about man, I'm not talking about like your man, right? Ladies. <laughs> um, but like men. And, and gentlemen, you can write this down too. What are good things, good characteristics, strengths that are in a man? Maybe these are attributes that you want. Maybe they're attributes that you admire in someone else. But just jot down a few of those. Men, specifically men. But I use that word on purpose. <laughs> I'll give you a second to do that. Okay. Do you guys remember back to that most beautiful thing that you could think of? So here we are, day six, we're rounding out creation. And God finishes it 
with the finishing touch. He creates the apex of creation. He looks at man and he says, it's not good for him to be alone. And this is even after he gives him work, right? And he's like, it's not good. And so then God makes what is good for man. He makes Eve. And there is this connectedness, this union between Adam and Eve, because God doesn't start with dirt in a very nice way. That's not derogatory, okay? He starts with bone. He takes one of Adam's bones and he crafts Eve out of it. Everything else God made by speaking it into existence. But man and woman, he creates with his hands. He crafts them personally and intentionally. Because humankind is that much more special, is that much more important to God. In his image, he created them, male and female. And when you think about the most glorious thing that you can think of in creation, God doesn't say anything is very good until he makes Eve. And he says, this is very good. The last thing, the icing, the cherry, right? Is this glorious woman. And from the beginning, Adam and Eve have a shared origin. You see, male and female were created together in God's image. And I mentioned this um, at the Juicy Night, that when husbands and wives interact together, they are portraying unity in the Trinity. It's part of like the, the unity out of diversity. God has three aspects to himself, but he's one. Male and female are different, but when they come together, it's like these puzzle pieces fitting together. And they represent this unity out of things that are different. They're different aspects of the image of God that when they come together, when we come together in connection even, this is like the one thing that we do regularly that is co-ed. And it's so valuable that we do it, that we come together men and women as the body of Christ because there is this fuller picture of who Christ is, what the image of God is. I'll tell you what, even, even at this point, before we go any further, I want to say that like, when there is inequality in the church, it, it informs the world about who God is. We are the representation of who God is. But if we act unjustly, we inform the world that God is unjust. Justice has to begin in the house of God. If he is to receive full glory from us as his body, because that's, that's our desire, man, we want to make God famous. <laughs> we want to make the name of Jesus famous on this campus. 
all across our city. That's why we're having the all-night prayer. May, may, may he be proclaimed, lifted up, known by all, right? But you think of the climate of our culture, even today, and there are things that they are crying out for that are true in the house of God. And one of them is the value of both men and women together. If God is to be glorified, God's people have to take leadership in this area. You are the next generation. You will be culture shapers. I don't care how small you think your influence is, it is influence. And God will put people into your sphere that you will get the opportunity to represent the fullness of who God is. Lead with justice. If we do not, the generations behind us will suffer. We will continue in these same cycles. The world is looking for answers, and I'm telling you what, guys, the church has the answer. But it comes from the gospel. So in Genesis chapters 1 through 3, men and women have a shared origin. They have a shared destiny. They have a shared tragedy. They have a shared hope. In Genesis 1.27, we'll go there real quick. It's the first time that scripture breaks out into poetry. This is interesting. We, we usually equate poetry to like a beautiful way of saying things. And here's the first time that the Bible does that. It says, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In the original language, that would have been a portion of poetry. That doesn't mean that it's fictitious. It means it's meant to be written in such a way that when you read it, you understand the beauty behind it. It shows that God created man in his own image. Humanity, you could say, is God's master poem. Eve's arrival into the garden then transforms Eden into paradise. Ladies, you underestimate your, your influence and your power as a representation of the beauty of the Lord. There is a great diversity among women that shows all the variety of the Lord. But one of the things that we share is this revelation of the Lord's beauty. Any inkling in you right now that is like wanting to like not accept that or like, you know, like deflect it is, is because of the world, not because of God. And so the negativity that might be rising up, you got to stick that where it belongs and give it to the enemy. <laughs> and you turn to the Lord and ask him, who he is, the creator of great beauty, and ask him, what does that mean for me? And then who am I? Because you are the revealer of great glory. 
Eve was not a separate creation, but she was, in a, she was a separate expression of the same creation. So there is this shared origin between Adam and Eve, and it's important that God made them kind of like out of each other. Do you know? Do you guys remember what they what God calls her? The, a suitable helper, a helper. It's not good for Adam to be alone. He needs somebody to help him. So it matters what this word means. Suitable helper. Have you ever looked it up? Studied the original language. Anybody but Pat? <laughs> he would so do that because he loves the word of God. In Genesis two eighteen, the Lord God said, "It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him." That word, suitable helper, who knows if I pronounce this right, but you don't know any better, um, is Ezer Konegdo. Okay? Ezer means helper. And any other time in scripture that it's used, it's a reference to God. In Psalm 121, verses 1 through 2, it says, I will lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help my Ezer come from. My Ezer comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Don't you see a little bit of the revelation of God's image then? If he calls Eve by his own name, she is representative of some portion of who he is. And she is going to bear that for Adam. Connecto. In Victor Hamilton's commentary on Genesis, he wrote that Kenegdo suggests that what God creates for Adam will correspond to him. Thus, the new creation will neither be a superior or an inferior, but an equal. The creation of this helper will form one half of a polarity and will be to man as the South Pole is to the North Pole. In another book called Half the Church, it says that the Ezer was designed to be a warrior. Descriptions of woman as dependent, needy, vulnerable, deferential, helpless, leaderless, or weak are, to put it simply, wrong. Such definitions betray cultural bias, and I fear a deep-seated misogyny. The Ezer is a warrior. Like the man, she is also God's creative masterpiece, a work of genius and a marvel to behold, for she is fearfully and wonderfully made. The Ezer never sheds her image-bearer identity, not here and not ever. God defines who she is and how she is to live in his world, and that never changes. The image-bearer responsibilities to reflect God to the world and to rule and subdue on his behalf still rest on her shoulders too. So her name then means like corresponding fighter. <laughs> like they will fight this, this world, this life together, side by side. Can you imagine, just real quick, if all the ladies in Chi Alpha did nothing? They're just waiting until they get married because they're just supposed to bear children and cook food. Right? I just want you to imagine that. 
what kinds of things would not happen <laughs> without women corresponding to our men, providing strength? There are some nights where, you, you know, we grow weary and it's the, the fierce prayers of one of our girls that like charges our hearts up again. We're like, oh, yes, yes, thank you, Lord. And it, it unifies us. There are times where we are, we are laboring in the harvest field of fall push. And one of our girls has 20 freshmen's names and we're all like, wow, okay, yes, we can do this, <laughs> you know? Or we look at the LTC and Kim rolls up with a car full of girls, eager and biting at the chomps, right, to, to become leaders. And we're strengthened by it. Our fellowship is made more whole because these women contribute and they live out part of their purpose here. I mean, the only reason the Kaiofa house ever smells good. <laughs> Let me let me just say. <laughs> All right, we got to keep moving here. A shared destiny. Genesis one twenty six. <clears throat> then God said, "Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them." And man there means mankind. It means both of them. It's a reference to both of them. Anyway. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth and all the creatures that move along the ground. He even says later, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the birds of the air and over, over all creatures that move on the ground. Side note, God just created this majestic, lush paradise. And then he gave authority over it away. And he empowers Adam and Eve to be the co-regents of this paradise. That is the model that we have in the, in the church as well, where we are constantly looking for opportunities to empower others to give authority away so that they can also come into part of their God-given design to be co-heirs and co-rulers with Christ. That's another sermon. God's command was a shared mandate for both of them to rule. Adam recognized Eve was serving with him. After their sin, you know what Adam says to God? He says, the woman that you put here with me. It's interesting that he doesn't say the woman you gave me because Eve was not his property. He did not own her, right? But it was his associate in the government as well as his companion in the home. So they were in this together. But they have a shared tragedy. And the heartbreak of God happens in this paradise. It catapults mankind into a destructive path that has caused pain and torment, the twisting of nature, and the perversion of God's gifts. 
the consequences of sin, guys, is more comprehensive than you understand. The serpent looks at Eve and he says, did God really say you must not? Right? You guys remember this? And the original Hebrew text implies that Adam was there as a silent accomplice. She didn't go find him and say, hey, look what I found. You should try this. It says, and then she turned to her husband who was there with her. Oops. Right? They, they're, they're co, like, blow it people. <laughs> it's an official term. Please write that down. Um, they, they miss it. And if we flip forward into the New Testament, it even says, hey, it was the woman who was deceived. But the man sinned knowingly. You know, so neither one of them are getting out of this scot-free. Both were present. Both participated. Both suffered the consequences. Are you guys seeing almost like the life partnership that is happening between Adam and Eve? They have a shared origin. They have a shared destiny of being co-regents over God's great creation. And then they both participate in this tragic fall. But they have a shared hope. And this is the most beautiful and gracious thing that God could do. Immediately after their sin was revealed, God speaks a messianic prophecy to them that redemption will come. Number one, if we're just talking about the character of God real quick, Sin happens where they disobey God, they go against his command, they eat of the tree of life, or the knowledge of good and evil, pardon me. There's two, two big trees in the garden. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God shows up immediately, and he pursues them, and he starts looking for them. Guys, God is not afraid of the things that we do wrong. He is not hiding from us waiting for us to come and repent. He is not prideful. He is not haughty. He immediately starts pursuing his people, his beloved masterpieces. He comes for them in like this like desperate desire. He goes, Adam, where are you? In our valleys, in our hard seasons of life, in the times where we are feeling like our worst, I hope you hear those words of like, where are you? Because I am still pursuing you. I am coming for you. So in Genesis chapter 3, the Lord curses the serpent first. Bad news for that guy. He loses his legs, which is very unfortunate. I mean, it is. He has to live the rest of his life crawling on his belly. So, FYI, snakes used to have legs. One snake blew it for everybody. Could have been lizards. Now we're snakes. Anyway. To the woman, this is what he says. I'm going to read to you the consequences of sin. These things happened because of sin, okay? These are not part of God's design. And I'm remembering this because in three months, this is really going to apply to me. I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. 
With pain, you will give birth to children. And check this out. This is part of the curse. Let me, before I go there, because creating new life should have been painless because it was painless for God. And as they share in God's ministry, it should have been painless for them to be fruitful and multiply and to create new life. Isn't that beautiful when you think about it? That God didn't experience pain when he created Adam and Eve. And he didn't intend for Eve to experience it when she brought forth new lives. And then he says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Guys, this is tragic. Because all of a sudden, this corresponding relationship that they have gets knocked out of equality. And now the man, as a result of the curse, is, is out of alignment with the woman. You see, that was not God's design. And if we know anything about Christ, is that he has the ministry of reconciliation. And his desire from beginning to end is to restore all things to the way that they were supposed to be in the garden when it was paradise. And part of that is the restoration of the equality of man and woman. The gospel, when we receive the truth of who Jesus is, as the son of God, as the one who laid down his perfect life to take the penalty for our sins, and then raised up his own life again to conquer sin and death, he even conquers death, but he's like, I was dead, now I'm not, right? <laughs> Amazing. It affects, when we, when we receive the gospel, it affects our past. It eradicates the sin that was in our lives. It affects our present, where it takes away the power of sin in our lives. You don't have to continue to be broken in this life. And part of what the church does is live out the kingdom now, the restoration that we can experience from the gospel now. And sometimes we do it with a lot of like bumps and clunks along the way, right? But we're still being made, made right by the gospel. And then soon, sooner than you think, we will be saved from the presence of sin. And there will be no more crying and pain and suffering and inequality. There will be no more drugs. There will be no more abuse. The Lord will restore all things, and we will be in his presence. And that is the full story of the gospel, okay? It is not just your ticket to heaven, but it is so that even in this life, we can experience his fullness. I have come to give them life and life to the fullest, okay? And then he says to Adam, because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground from which you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return." Part of this is that work was originally designed to be a good thing. And everybody with a job was like, nah, <laughs> right? 
Because sometimes work is hard. Sometimes the work is hard. Sometimes the people are hard, right? Which is harder, the work or the people? Always the people. It's always the people. Yeah, I would say the same thing. Not looking at anybody. (laughs) It's because our relationships are broken. God designed work for us to be together and to interact in a non-painful way. That's why he put Adam and Eve together in the job. And he didn't give Adam and Eve separate jobs saying, it's cool if you take care of the fish and you take care of the birds, but don't talk to each other about it. No, it didn't happen like that. I was just talking to my mentor earlier and I was telling her, I was like, yeah, I'm speaking tonight, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Andy's going to stay home with the kids. And she's like, you guys do such a great job making it work. And I just had to laugh because I was like, not for lots of experience though. (laughs) And you know, it's like, it, it takes a lot of work for Andy and I to figure out how to work together. So we both have ideas. We both have ways we want to see it done, right? But it's better together. And I tell you what, when we show up at churches and we tell your story about how you're reconciling students on campus and we share the vision for Chi Alpha together, tons of people come up to us and are like, wow, we, we hardly ever see men and women do this together. We love hearing from both of you. It was so much more powerful to hear you both share. And so even when like our kids are crazy, you know, or like... I'm pregnant, you know, we, we just make it work because we are trying to represent the fullness of who God is as best that we can if that is our job. It's hard. But God's glory is worth it. That is why we do this together. That is why we labor together on the campus. And it takes all of us. When Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, Who was listening? Probably the disciples, right? And probably those women that don't get named enough that were following him. Under Jewish law, they weren't allowed to learn from rabbis officially. But what does Jesus do? He sits them down and they sit at his feet and they learn. And he even commends Mary. And he's like, she has chosen what is better, to sit at the feet of the teacher and to learn and to be educated as a woman in a non-women educating culture. To represent God accurately to the world, the church must advocate for the fullness of God's image and glory. So if we were all commissioned to go into the world and to make disciples, but then we said, no, actually take out half of the workforce and only the men do it. How much longer is it going to take for the gospel to get out? I tell you what, sometimes it's going to be hard to have those conversations. Late night, 3 a.m., Dude and his girl, right? You know, like, it's just not going to be the same as the girlfriend who has labored in friendship, who has gone through hard times with her. Sometimes those bonds are just different, is what I, my point. When I was in college, and one of the girls we were fighting for had been abused and abused and abused by her stepfather, she would not hear it from Andy. She would not hear it from my pastor, Steve. And so there were late nights of unpacking the gospel with her because my roommates and I fought for her. Three hours in the rain one night because she wanted to go kill herself. We were like, not over our, not if we have anything to do with it. Yeah. 
It takes the fullness of the church to do the work of the church. So I'm going to close with this sentiment, okay? So we just spent half an hour in Genesis just talking about the beginning, that God created men and women together and gave them shared destiny and, and hope. Because when he says that your seed will crush the head of the serpent, right? It's from essentially childbearing, something that Eve provides, that the salvation of all of mankind is going to be provided through Jesus. And then you read all those genealogies and all of a sudden it's not so boring, right? Because you're like, look, and they had kids and they had kids and they had kids and they had kids. (laughs) And that's how we got Jesus. On the earth, incarnate. Man, praise the Lord for women. Because <laughs> the men were not doing that. <laughs> Take that biology class. <laughs> but then if we fast forward to the New Testament, the New Testament states clear theology on the women's issue. And if you want to talk about some hard passages, we can do that sometime. But let me just help lay a foundation for good theology of women, okay? Okay. Number one, Acts 2, 17 through 18 explains that the Holy Spirit equips all kinds of people. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, both young and old, both my male and my female servants. There's no discrepancy there. Nowhere in the spiritual gifts passages, you know where like Paul's like listing out what the gifts are, is there any indication that God's gifts are restricted by gender? Neither 1 Corinthians, nor Romans, nor Ephesians. These are the gifts given by the Spirit. And the New Testament includes women in the priesthood of all believers in 1 Peter 2, verses 5, 9, and 10. As for marriage, guys, you've got to read these passages through the right lens, okay? Um, 1 Corinthians 7 tells husbands and wives to share authority. It's true. <laughs> First Corinthians 11 teaches men and women to see themselves as partners. Ephesians 5 urges both husbands and wives to submit to one another. Gosh, it just seems like in a fallen patriarchal society, we read that and we go, wives submit, wives submit, wives submit. And we completely ignore the part of it where it says, husbands submit to your wives. Doesn't that sound like that mutuality that God created in the garden? All of Paul's writings are about like the laying down of our own rights for the gain of others. That's how the church works. And that is how marriage works, where I lay down what I want so that you can do better. But when both partners are doing that, how amazing is it? It's like, no, I want you to have the best. No, I want you to have the best. Oh, we just love each other so much, right? (laughs) Yeah, hashtag hard work. Um, And as for the life of the church, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul explains that in Christ, there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, right? Isn't that interesting that in Christ, in Christ, there is neither male nor female. 
because of the emphasis that we put on the distinction, Christ does away with that because inequality is no longer. It's being restored back to equality. And there are just image bearers. And this is not a gender thing. This is an expression of the image of God. Okay? We can honor one another better by stepping in on inequality. This means sarcastic jokes. In the kingdom of God, there is no room for jokes about women that are derogatory. Girls, it means the same thing for us, though. Because if we are laying down our rights, right, so that others can benefit, then hopefully, naturally, that's happening back towards us. But we can't just stand around and demand it. That's not how the kingdom of God works. And so we don't tear down men. Not in God's house. It means that... We have to look for opportunities to be advocates when someone needs to step in. Quick example, somebody asked me the other day, like, ministry, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, in my Chi Alpha group, I've been here longer, but the man that's on staff, they're not married, everybody calls him pastor. And they call him first when they have a problem. But I'm the one who's like, leading this ministry, and no one refers to me as pastor, and no one shows me the same kind of respect that they show him. And she's like, what do I do? And I said, well, this is what we do. I said, Andy is a huge advocate for me, and he talks me up, and he speaks well of me, and when there's opportunities to like push me forward, he does it. And he'll refer to me as pastor, and he'll, he'll post pictures of me on, on Instagram, leading talks and stuff like that, and he'll just champion me. I said, I think it would be worthwhile to have a conversation with your coworker and just say, hey, would you be my advocate? And when it comes to showing my authority to the students, would you advocate for it? Because it's hard for a woman to advocate for her own position. Why? Because it comes off as like overly aggressive and then people are like, oh, right? But if men open the doors for women, and I don't mean those doors. I mean the doors into authority and influence, then we have a greater chance of sharing in, in the partnership that God designed for us. We must think of the women around us with great honor and dignity as image bearers. And if you want to just take this real juicy, that means that we can't think of women as objects and we can't sexualize them, right? Because we are co-laborers. So here's how we're going to end. Let's stand. And I want you to find a woman nearby and to lay hands on her. Women, if that is uncomfortable for you, you can totally say that and you can decline. Um, <laughs> you accept. Very good. Um, but hey, everybody lay hands on somebody, okay? Like, don't be... No, no. You, you can't lay hands on each other because you're men. So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And I want you to, like, pray with me as I pray out for our family, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
the one in whose image we are made, Lord, we ask of you to reveal your glory, your wonderful image and greater fullness among our group, among our family. God, in the name of Jesus, we intercede for the girls in our group and we ask God that you would unveil their beauty, their beauty in leadership, their beauty in influence, their beauty in service. God, would you uncap the glass ceilings in their lives to receive a shared destiny with the men in our fellowship. God, I pray even now, Lord, that you would form partnerships of mutuality among us. God, that we would say yes and amen to being co-laborers for the gospel. God, I pray that these men would be so secure in their identity Lord, that they would have no problem <coughs> opening up doors of influence for the women that they serve alongside, that they love Jesus alongside. God, I pray that as these women come into fullness of your image, Lord, that it would strengthen the men of our group, that they would feel stronger because more of God is being actualized in our midst. We thank you, Lord for allowing your spirit to live in us. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would cast down all things that act as filters to stand in the way of the fullness of who you are among us. God, if it is pride, tear it down. If it is insecurity, tear it down. If it is hurt or pain or fear, God, we lay it at your feet and we ask God that you would replace it instead with an unadulterated understanding of who you are and who that makes us to be. It is from you that we get our identity. It is not defined by the world. It is not defined by our families. It is not defined by our physical image. It is defined by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe, who set humankind as the crowning glory of all creation. God, we submit to you our view of ourselves. We ask God that you would raise our eyes up to you to see each other as worthy and valuable, dearly loved, and that we would fight for each other instead of silently fighting against each other in our preconceived notions. God, we love you. We release a blessing out over all of our girls in the name of Jesus.